welcome to today's episode of A Facilitator's Journey. I'm joined by Leanne Hughes, the vibrant, bright Australian consultant. She and I talk about all things setting up as a new facilitator and trainer as Leanne started her journey back in 2019. We discuss the mentality of pricing, how do we price, our mindset when pricing. We talk about how do we find our first referrals and Leanne has a great model called the three C's. And we also talk about Leanne's um, propensity to join different types of masterminds and communities to enable her to get the best out of her world and her business. So settle down, grab a cup of tea and enjoy this episode. Hey Leanne. Hello. It's so good to be on your show as like on the other side and and as a guest because the last time we spoke on recorded episode I was interviewing you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a really good place to start like how do we know each other? Well, I think I mean we we're trying to unravel this. I think it was maybe I saw you on Instagram and then I was like, well, you're like the perfect guest for a podcast around facilitation. So I think that's how we connected the first time and then ever since then through COVID like you myself and Miriam would catch up every now and then. Um, and I think also, I think we've also kept in touch because like you're, I mean, we, we love facilitation, but you're also like into doing cool things like keeping fit. You're also pretty tall, which I love because I'm pretty tall as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that in common. We do. And, uh, it's the same with Miriam. I think I said to her, I, there was a period of time I went searching for others like me because I needed conversations. And I think that's how you and I cross paths on Instagram and then connected. And you kindly then had me as a guest on um on first time facilitator and if you haven't discovered first time facilitator team i thoroughly recommend it as a podcast to help you think about what it means to be a facilitator and starting and doing what you need to do so leanne um give us a bit of a description like what do you do how do you describe yourself uh, I think it's really hard with facilitation just to describe ourselves, but I guess, I mean, I serve two different audiences. One is probably the audience that most of your listeners serve, which is like working in organizations and helping them get the best out of their people, make great decisions, strategy, um, that type of thing. Um, but I also serve with my podcast, First Time Facilitator, uh, is really about how does an everyday person just design a workshop and and deliver it? Because um, it started out of my own itch. I was working in a big global mining company, my boss threw me in the deep end, I, which I am so grateful for. And he would send me around the world running leadership training. And I had no idea how to do it. Had an incident in Canada where things didn't go so well, right? Like the, you know, every facilitator's nightmare. Plus I was jet lagged. I was the only female, like 30 guys in the room in mining. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, like one guy just decided not to participate. So anyway, I got back to Australia, I rang up every person I knew that did workshops of like, how do you do this? And then um, that's where the podcast started. And then, then through that, I ended up like learning a lot, loving workshops and then started, yeah, uh, started my own business in 2019. Nice. So we're going to talk today about your journey actually, because as you say, like you, you stepped out into this, you left the corporate organization or corporate world in 2019. So let's go back though to like around 2018 um what was your tipping point for leaving like how did you know you wanted to leave I think there were a few reasons um I think facilitation wasn't the biggest part of my job it was maybe 10% of what I was doing but it was the 10% that I enjoyed the most so that's why I was like okay well I want to get more opportunities 
Um, but you know, my role was like a talent role. So I also had to do the annual performance development and that cycle kind of drove me crazy. And I was like, I'm not here. This is the last 12 months I'm ever going to do this. And I'll, you know, I'll either leave the job or do something different. Um, but I think it was more a case of, um, in my company, it also been like, I love travel, same as you, Kirsty, like just love travel. I've been to like Canada, Indonesia, all around Australia, and I, and I got to Mongolia and I thought there's no other country I want to go to. I'm looking up the corporate ladder. There's no other role that I want in this organization. Everyone looks so unhappy. So how do I turn that 10% of what I love doing into 100% of the business, which as we know, is not 100% of the business, right? The actual delivery is not 100%, um, but I was naive at the time. <laughs> and so, th- and actually I'm thankful I was because uh, yeah, as you, as you, as you leave your job, as you know, it's probably the best form of professional development starting your own business. Mm. And was there a point where you just went, no, that's enough and hand in your resignation? How, how did that work out? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I think um, there were probably two things that happened in, in the space of one week. Um, so two people that I highly admired as leaders within the organization, one res- resigned on Monday, the other guy resigned on Tuesday. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder what's going on with the business that they're deciding to do that. Then the same week, I got notified that I was chosen to speak at the Gallup uh, Clifton Strengths Conference in Omaha. And I was like, I'm living this really weird world where I'm not really, um, the organization I was working for wasn't really taking advantage of the ideas that I was bringing. You know, like I was getting caught up in politics and bureaucracy and the right ideas weren't, I, I just felt like it uh, my strengths weren't being captured there. And so it's like, okay, I'm living in these two worlds where I've got an audience, I'm building an audience through this podcast and people are reaching out all over the world and I'm getting these interesting speaking gigs and I go to work and I'm not feeling fulfilled. So it was more a case of the decision was I had built up six months of runway in terms of money saved that if I didn't make a single cent, I'd be okay. Um, and I thought, well, let's just try it for a year. If, I, if it doesn't work, I'm still employable. Like that was it. And it was never a case of like just, I, I really had no dreams of metrics or like financials. The, the, probably the biggest reason not to leave was I was scared I would never travel internationally ever again. <laughs> but the actually the flip side happened and, and all of my gigs actually in the first year, 50% were international. So um, yeah, it's funny what we, you know, the ideas we have in our own mind and that negative bias sometimes. That week of those two people resigning, how soon after that did you resign? Oh, I think it was the next week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, my husband, like my husband had also, I mean, okay, I'd been in my own head, but obviously he'd then been listening to me going on about, you know, complaining about stuff at work and maybe for over a year. And he's like, just leave. And I'm like, really? And I guess it is nice for someone to reflect that back to you. Um, and give you that confidence so yeah and I think with a decision it was brewing for some time but then you actually call it and then and then yeah yeah you make your move it sounds like also that there was it was happening unconsciously if you'd already built up six months worth of finances yeah because it took me I had my epiphany and I talk about this in an earlier episode it was actually the 7th of April 2009 and I was at a workshop for a friend's Uh, outcome workshop and I didn't have an outcome and I just facetiously wrote oh no it was 2007 Uh, it's April 2009 and I am an NLP coach and earn five thousand pounds a month and I thought that was outrageous I love that I love that I I left it was in London and I left the workshop that day going oh maybe I will leave but then it took me 
six months to get a plan in place and feel comfortable and lots of tears and lots of reflection and lots of I'm like you I talk a lot so I went off to find people that I needed to talk it through with and then I remember resigning in October and I resigned that late because a bit like you we would do it at that time I was in a global sales role and we were doing a big relaunch and I knew there were three amazing business trips and work, work weeks of work to come up Kenya UK Australia so my last business trip for Diageo I had a 10 days in Sydney I was like such a oh my god it was amazing I love it my last week was in Sydney as well ah <laughs> oh my god that's I, like, so I have cool. to get down for this and then I'm I'm out yeah yeah that's exactly that's exactly what happened so um how funny that so I'm loving this so this is the epitome of you to me though Leanne is right I think I'm gonna leave there's something brewing over here that I can't put my finger on right now and I also want to leave because I'm not being fulfilled in the work that I do and then you just make these decisions super fast what happened next then so what was it like going okay I'm gonna set up my own business yeah I, I didn't even know what I was going to do really I mean I was just like I'll just offer what I do internally externally because if there's a need in a business surely there'll be need you know a need you know elsewhere um, but here's a, I mean, talking about, yes, you're right. I, I make decisions very quickly, but I do take time sometimes. I, I think I look very scrappy from the outside, but I do sometimes intentionally, um, you know, things will happen. So this final week in Sydney was kind of funny because I did this activity much like you, where you kind of dream big and think, you know, what does an ideal day for me look like? And so for me, it was, yeah, yeah. So I was like going through a wake up, you know, wake up at this time, I go for a run, I have a great coffee with the dogs, you know, I'm looking at my calendar, I'm working with these clients. And so one of um, Chris and I, we, we love Thailand, like Thailand, we love Asia, we go every single year. And so, so we're in Sydney, it's the final day of this leadership program, I'm hanging out with the head of talent of our parent company. And she's like, what are you gonna do? Like, you've got your own business? Like, where do you want to go with this? And I'm like, Oh, look, I don't know. But I know one day that Chris and I want to live in Asia. And she's like, Asia, um, would you like to run our leadership development programs in Asia? And I was like, hell yeah. Like that would not have happened if I hadn't done, you know what I mean? Like the, the beauty of intention and, and just slipping that out. Uh, and then, so my first gigs were across India, uh, Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, so, and that was just through, yeah, through connections, through existing referrals. So that So having that was actually really great. I also did some associate work. So I co-facilitated for our business with a, um, with a wonderful training company and I did, you know, I did day rate work for them. So it was all about like, I wanted to like, stay connected, get cash flow, get to build my confidence. So those two things really helped uh, straight out of the gate. And um, how, because I think associate work is, underrated and is a really awesome thing to do as a segue because I think for me I did over seven eight years of associate work which isn't I don't always talk about but it was a lifeline I loved it it was so helpful how how did you go about finding associate work again through connections so when I look at when I was like reflecting on like what are the three core pillars of how I built my business I think you know connections number one I, I don't think anyone can disagree with that I think content you know the content strategy podcasting things like that and also craft like how good are you in terms of building word of mouth that your workshops refer people you know people are in your workshops refer your work on to others um so for me with the connections it was I was actually already co-facilitating with Cameron who was our external facilitator at work 
they were building their business. They just needed people there. Um, a, a previous podcast guest, actually two of them have offered me associate work as well for really interesting projects. And I, I, th- I agree with you. I think it's completely underrated because often as a solopreneur, you may not have the setup or the systems to, to align with like really, really big companies that are quite interesting and they get those gigs. And so suddenly you're into this, like, Oh, I'm so curious how, you know, for example, Qantas operates. All right. Let's just, you know, I had a friend that got me in there. So yeah, I think for the variety, which I think for me as a business owner, I have, you, uh, yeah. And Kirsty, you know, that I'm a lot about, you know, a bit about me. I love variety. Um, you don't have to do the marketing. You're in there. You're just doing what you love, which is the craft. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love your three C's, connection, content, strategy, and craft. What do you, so connections are obviously the people we know, working with our networks, talking to people. Yeah. Referrals. That's it. Yeah. Having conversations. And what's so interesting is like when I ran this booked out facilitator program uh, and we did this poll internally and it was like imagine they're three buckets. So where are you getting most of your gigs? And like, I think 80 or 90% of us said through our connections and they're like, okay, where are we spending most of our time? And like over 60% was in content. Like what the hell are we doing? And what does content mean? Like social media, you know, blogging, vlogging, all of that marketing type of stuff, broadcasting. Ah. Where I think podcast is useful is that it links content with connection. Plus it builds your craft if you're facilitating because you're hosting a show. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my work, if I'm, yeah, 80% has been through connections, but I, I spend a ridiculous amount of time on content because I actually enjoy it. <laughs> yes. So what's craft? Let's just say I'm running a workshop or doing a speech and there's like 30 people in there. They might refer me on to someone else within the business because they enjoyed or they got value from the workshop that I delivered. So it's using your ability to to design and deliver beautifully or to get results to then get referrals. Great. I love this. So the three C's to get referrals, basically your own connections, your content strategy. And then when you're actually doing your amazing craft, are people then referring you on? One thing um, I've learned through my social media is you, it's great to be out there and people often go, Oh, I see you on LinkedIn all the time. You're like, yeah. However, the actual, because I run open programs as well, which I know you've done, the sale comes often through a newsletter. It doesn't come through a social media post. 100%. Isn't that interesting? And again, I'm like, I did a newsletter the other day and I'm like, I hadn't written to my email list for three months. Meanwhile, I've been posting on LinkedIn every day. You're right. It's so, it, it is, it's that direct, it's more about, I think when you check your email, you're more in that state of wanting to take an action. And I think by maybe also by the time you've signed up to a newsletter, especially in the work that we do, you, you're wanting to build that connection with the individual and you're wanting to have those conversations. Now, obviously not everybody in the first instance when they step out into the world as a, a facilitator or a trainer are going to have newsletters or even want to go that way. But I think it's something to really consider if that's going to be part of your end game that you do think, oh, I really want to have open workshops um, because that is the way to sell, even though it's a oh yeah, I, I would say I, I completely agree with you. I think the biggest mistake I made was not creating a landing page where I was collecting email addresses right at the beginning of my podcast. I didn't start that for maybe another seventy episodes in. Big regret. Yeah, yeah capture, mm. capture. Always be capturing the information. Don't do anything with it straight away, but it does definitely help. Uh, so, twenty nineteen, you leave. 
you've got the leadership work, you've got some associate work, uh, which is great. Tell us what it was like for you, because you're obviously you're in Brisbane, Australia. What is the protocol for you around setting up a business? Uh, what is the protocol? Uh, really, it was uh, going going to see an accountant. So getting so getting an accountant that was recommended, getting advice from them. It's like yeah, I did before I left because I had four weeks runway. Before, like, the second I quit my job, then I started getting all the admin and paperwork um, into gear. Um, figuring out obviously what type of company structure, all of that. But yeah, she was the, I mean, I'm, this is not my strong point. It was like just an admin. I hate admin. I hate paperwork. Um, the website I already had going because I'd side hustles. Like, so for me, it wasn't a massive leap. I think for other people, if you're working full time and you haven't kind of built stuff, it's, there's a lot to do, but I mean, for the last maybe two or three years, because of the podcast, I'd been building, like I said, I'd gotten the email list, gotten the domain names, um, business cards didn't really worry about. Um, so, and then it was more about making an announcement. I'll tell you what I did do that was kind of interesting. This is not related to admin, but I thought there's an opportunity here. I'm leaving the business. There's an opportunity for me to promote myself was as I leave. So I created this, um, it was a five minute farewell video. And I was like talking about all the great workshops we'd run, where I'd traveled, who I loved, who was thanking people. And I sent it to everyone like, you know, in, within the business and LinkedIn to my like, Hey, if you need a workshop in future, here's how to find me. So I set up like a landing page for my new business and promoted it off the back of that video, which was, <laughs> it's such a fun video. I'll have to share it. Maybe you can put it into your show notes. It was fun. I love it. So I do love that. So I am the same as you. Admin has never been my favorite thing. And three things I said I'd always pay for, finance, legal, tech. Uh, and actually, same here, the first people I spoke to were some accountants to get advice on what structure, to get them to help me to register the business name. So in the UK, we have a place called Companies House. And if you want to have a business, you have to go and register there. Uh, also, and I don't know if this is true for you, for Australians, it'd be interesting to know. We can have, as you say, different structures in our business. So we can have sole trader, you can have a corporation, you can have a limited company. I'm just making a decision, which one do I go for? And it, in the first instance, it's often based on tax and like best tax benefits. Yeah. And protection as yeah. well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then the insurance part, which uh, I didn't know too much about, but I joined the Institute for Learning and uh, Performance in Australia, and they, yeah, just again, it was all about. I mean, I was lucky. I'd had I built up this flip chart community, you know, as the host. But I'm asking within the group, hey, where do I go for insurance? And like people have asked these questions already, so I'm searching my own forums and going, oh, cool, this is where I need to go. And I always re go a referral off a Google search, like referral, like if someone can recommend it highly, I'll go yeah. for it. Yeah. So bank accounts. How many did you set up when you first started? I have two accounts. So I've got like a current account where money goes in and out. And then the second one for uh, that is a contingency account for tax and for superannuation within Australia. Yeah. Yes. So superannuation for the Brits listening is pension. And you and the Australians run it slightly different to the way we run it, which is fascinating. But another conversation. Yeah. And I, 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 what's different now also actually just on that point of superannuation, cause I, when I first started, I wasn't paying, I wasn't on my own payroll. Um, but now I am now that I've got like consistency in that I pay myself a wage. I know what, what super I'm expecting every quarter. Yeah. That's pension. really good. 
And I think there is so a guard on the finances. So I used to have two bank accounts exactly the same as you. Um, one was called the operating account where everything went in and everything went out. But uh, I just had the fear of God that I was going to screw up on tax. So I was VAT corporation. We just accrued, accrued, accrued. And then one year I was applying for a mortgage. And because I have to show my books here in the UK when we apply for mortgages, uh, my mortgage my mortgage advisor said, Kirsty, your accountants misadvised you last year. You've overspent. And I was like, how can I overspend? I've got loads of money in my bank account. Yeah. But that was from the year before. Anyway, so we changed the accountant because they weren't advising me correctly. Um, and then I moved to five bank accounts because I read a book, Profit First, which is great. Um, so I now have five bank accounts and it just allowed me. So we have the operating account. We have a profit account. I have a pay account. So I know how much to pay myself. We have an associate account because we have other people doing work for us. So as soon as an invoice gets paid, we put their money to one side Nice. and we have tax. So now I can really clearly see that pattern. I love that. And I, I think I love that book as well. I just haven't implemented the principles. You know, it's funny when you read books, you're like, oh, I know, but I can just move on. It's like, no, I've got to actually action this. But, I, you know, I, I just love, yeah, second I get paid, get that money out into the, the tax account. So it's not a temptation. I don't think I've got this. It's not yours. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Don't, don't think you're going to be able to recoup it back because you can't. Um, I also... I remember the first when I left, I remember emailing the accountant going, can I pay myself? When can I pay myself? Because I thought I was so indoctrinated in the world of uh, corporate. I was waiting for someone to tell me what to do. I called it the Diageo duvet for many years, like coming out from under the duvet. And he was just like, you can pay yourself whenever. And that was a really interesting moment going, yeah, but how much do I pay myself? Like, I just... It was weird. It's a really, and even, I mean, I've gone through cycles and waves where, um, so initially I would pay, I would like, let's just say I, I earned a big contract. I'd then give myself, you know, a proportion of that. Now I've sort of moved to just like consistently paying myself a certain rate. Yeah. For years, I, uh, because I've been working for myself now since 2008, so 15 years. I think it was a mess. And uh, I've, would often just like pay myself quarterly and then sometimes that worked sometimes that didn't work and, and I'd be like why am I putting myself under this emotion in fact it was an emotional pressure to like like can I afford to do things this is ridiculous of course you can and it was in the last three years working with my finance manager Victoria we've just gone right this is how much and I take and I'll be really transparent I take uh five thousand pounds a month out of the business and a thousand of that because I can take as PAYE in the UK, which has a certain a tax level to it. And the other 4,000 is a dividend. And um, so it's not loads of money in comparison, but it means I know I can live. But it took a while to get to that regularity. Yeah, I, I think so. And also I, I do spend, like, it's interesting when we're the business because some of my business expenses are probably expenses I would like, I don't know, travel, like I travel and work, but that's a business expense, but it's still like something I, you know, I would have just paid for that. Like, it, it's so interesting. I think compared to when you're not your own product and you're not, there's like, you know, and so every time I've got, you know, I've got to talk to my accountant and say, Hey, this is the reason behind it. Like, yeah, it looks like a personal spend, but actually 
it's in service of the business. Yeah. So I, I have to do that as well. Because I do put things through my books that are that could be a lot of coaching, both emotional, oh, both emotional, yes. mental and physical, and retreats. And my accountant, she's really good, actually. So uh, thoughts for people listening to this is like, what can you offset against your business? So you save a, a proportion of your personal tax that you have to pay. You can't do business tax on it, but you can definitely do personal tax. So there is a benefit what can go through your business. But just be sensible because I know some some accountants are super, super officious and they will check. Totally. Yeah. I, I, put, a, I put a stylist expense and she's like, I don't know. But I'm like, well, it's for my out facilitation outfits and speaking. <laughs> so I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't know if I, I can't, I don't think she let me. But I'm like, it's purely for that. It was. Oh my God. <laughs> I want to do that. Well, do it. Honestly, it's a, I, I, back on, you know, because this is about, like, we are judged, you know, and I, I don't like it, but we are. We are judged by, by the stuff. And I, I'm not very good at, like, colors and putting out, I'm really not. Um, and I remember going to my stylist and she was picking out these outfits I never would have picked for myself. But I'm like, wow, they look really cool. I look very, I, I like it. I like it. So it was, yeah, it's a good investment. One of the best things I ever did when I lived in London, a friend of mine said, and this sounds, sorry if you're listening, you're like, what the hell? She's like, oh, I did a wardrobe detox. And I was like, okay, cool. Because I buy things and sometimes they look really good on me and other times I'd be like, yeah, mm, but I didn't know why. So two things happened in one year. One, I did my colours. Totally recommend anyone listening, if you do your colours, they will match to your skin tone. Big shift. And as soon as I did that, I'd wear colours like this green jumper and everyone goes, oh my God, the colour looks amazing on you. Or the bright blue both you and I wear looks amazing on you or bright red. So that shifted. But then I also did this wardrobe detox and that lady became my personal shopper stylist and she has dressed me ever since. And I only go once a year, once every two years. I've saved up all my money and just the clothes she picks me, just I look on every single time I wear it. Yeah, it makes, and I, I like also, I just hate going around and having to make decisions. You got someone in there, it's really efficient. Like you have two hours, they're in and out, in and out. And they're just like, it's the most efficient way to shop. So even if you don't think, if you think it's like a frivolous expense, I think it just saves you so much time of like online shopping and getting stuff that's crap. It doesn't fit. Yeah. Jeans. She broke the back of my jean hate and now I love my jeans. That's why I wear all the time for work. Love it. Love it. Where are we? What other things would you say to people are really important to consider in that first couple of years when you're setting up your business? I think... Um, I mean, pricing, pricing is an interesting one, but I think it's not about pricing for the first year. Honestly, I think it's just about getting gigs and getting confidence and understanding what conversations are like and just getting out there and using your ability to deliver workshops, like creating the content so people can see what you're doing. I think it's more important to get runs on the board. And, you know, that's what I would, and I'm glad, like I priced really low. I priced hourly. All the things I talk about not doing now, I was doing in the first year, but I don't really care because it got me clients. It got me logos. It got me testimonials. It got my confidence up, all of that. Um, then I think when you move into maybe, you know, even second, third year, I think self-worth is the is a huge part of it. Like what is the value that I'm actually creating here for this client? Can I do it again? Like, am I worthy of this figure? When I hear other people, you know, I, one of the best things is, um, you know, I had Alan Weiss on my show, The Million Dollar Consultant, not only about him, but his community of consultants and hearing what they were charging 
for a one day workshop, like 30 to 50,000 US dollars. I was like, what the heck? What the heck? What does it take? And so that just blew my mind. I mean, it still blows my mind. I'm not there yet. I'd love to, you know, wouldn't that be amazing to be there? Like, what are they doing? And and sometimes also you see them, you think, what are they doing? Like, what is it that's so special? And often it's not only, it's not actually what they're doing or what they've created. It's their ability to actually say and write down in a proposal, this is what I'm worth. And then communicating that value to the client. Yeah, I think pricing is a, is a great conversation because same as you for years, like being able to say the number, you've got to be able to say what your number is and say it and be okay with it. My, my best friend calls it the blush test. So do you blush when you say it? yes or no? Will the client blush? And and if it's too much, everyone will blush and they'll be like, no, that's not, a, that's too much. But I think also ask the bloody question when you're in a client call and you're being, you're taking a briefing, like ask them what their budget is. Get a sense of how much have they got? Like what are their expectations at this time and have a conversation with about it. Yeah. That took me a while to be able to get brave enough to even ask that question. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So bravery, you're right, is a big part of it. And it's not like, I mean, I think you're in a global global sales role. So I'm fascinated to hear that. Is it because, Kirsty, you think it was because you were selling yourself versus uh, another service? Oh, yeah. Like selling selling barrels of Guinness and smir- cases of Smirnoff and pallets of Baileys is one thing because you know everybody wants that. But do, they, do you want me? Do, do you want little old Kirsty and like all those inner fears and self-beliefs. I mean, I literally just written to someone about doing some hypnosis work because I'm like, I still run two beliefs, limiting beliefs. No one will come and I'm not worthy. Whoa. And when you're running your own business, those are big. Like, and it, for years on that, I'm being very transparent. It changed the way I would price for an open workshop. So I would invite people to come and join like a one day how to design a workshop and I wouldn't invoice until after the event oh my gosh I mean I think of that now and I'm like Kirsty like that's bonkers like what does that say because I was so worried that no one would come yeah and that is that's really interesting and it is I mean the price thing we're talking about it being a dark art it is because we've both got mixed audiences right so corporates it's completely different to what I charge individuals as well but then even like and again don't please don't listen to me for advice on this but like some organizations I think I think oh they're uh this is the number one industry in Australia they got a lot of money so I'm gonna charge more versus maybe um, like an organization that, you know, is, is, is growing, is in an industry that doesn't have as much money. Like I, that's people are like, oh, this is my day rate. Like I don't, I have a very variable day rate. I have like Uber surcharge pricing as well. If it's like, how soon is it? How bad do you want me? I'll, I'll surcharge it. If they know me, like, yeah, I'll surcharge it. If they know me, if they know, like if they've come to me because they've like read the book, but they're already raving, um, that, that's not that I'll surcharge it, but it's it's an easier sale versus you know, the whole sale versus marketing thing, right? So marketing is attraction, and I, I find it easier that that way than having to go and sell someone that I don't really know or. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting as well. So I do think, especially into corporates, uh, NGOs, charities, like we'll have. I do think there is different pricing depending on sector. I think many of us play 
in certain sectors better than others. So for me, it's fast moving consumer goods because that's my background and I know how to navigate it. Um, other listeners here would be like, no, no, I work in the charity sector or the public sector. And that's a different set of pricing. Again, I absolutely respect that. As is, if you go to finance and pharma, it sort of goes up and up and up. The, the bit of pricing I find still harder is B2C, so business to consumer. So selling to other facilitators and trainers, that's where I just get my wobble on. Yeah, and I think it's it, the other equation in that is, do you, is it quantity versus like, you know, because you can sell a low ticket item, but if you have like 100,000 people buying it, fine. But it then it's like, well, what's the, yeah, it's a tough one. And what are you, are you more into, are you B2C, B2B, are you, are you still a hybrid or are you focusing more on B2C now? Well, that's a really good question. It's the whole multi-million dollar question that anyone who sits down with me and goes, what are we doing, Kirsty?" I'm like, because <laughs> B2B, I find those conversations so easy and natural and they are higher ticket uh, to use a phrase. And I know exactly how much I can earn, whereas B2C gives me the, the heebie-jeebies. But I get a really big kick out of it as well, like seeing the community grot, throw, throw grow and thrive so i'm a bit like oh gosh do i what do i do I'm, and and as we're recording this right now in november 2023 i'm about to take the rest of november off because i'm gonna have an operation and it's like it really feels like it's that period of like reflection and what's going to be dropped what's going to go so who knows if you're listening to this a few years down the line who knows what the business model is going to look like Ooh. So exciting. I love it. I, I, I'm the same as you. Yeah. I just find like B2C is, is great because people want to be there. Like they paid to be there. Whereas working in corporates, it's a bit harder because it's like the client wants it, but the other people, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons of both. That's why I think I keep both going as well because of the different challenges yes. and opportunities. That's exactly yeah. why I do it as well. I and mean, then I can see my strategist friends just pulling their hair out at me, just going, Oh, totally. Like, You're running two business models. Who is your target audience? Totally. Like, yeah. I love that. I think the other piece around pricing as well, you nailed it, is mindset. If you've not paid any attention to the last 10 minutes of this conversation, it's about the mindset. Because we can both say big numbers. But it's like what happens inside. And I think for anyone listening, as you're going through your journey, is notice your relationship to money because it will come up in buckets. And this is why I think working with a coach as you're going through these transitions is so important because things come up and just being able to get that. Have you had a coach in the past? I was just going to say, sorry, I totally overlooked this. One of the first things that so the accountant came first, then the coach came second because three weeks out of corporate, the number one thing I used to do when I worked internally was I'd, you know, I'd think of something and I'd turn to my colleague and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And suddenly there was no one to turn to. Like I had no one. And so I was like, I need to pay someone for this. I need to get some, like, I need some type of sounding board. So I, yeah, I had Sarah McVannell. She was a previous podcast guest. And for a month, uh, for 12 months, every um, two weeks would catch up and set goals and, and talk it through. And um, I've always had, I've always been, had a coach slash been in a mastermind or community. Yeah. And I pick brains, paid, I pay to pick the brains of some great people too. Well, I think it's so important. I was going to say, so have a coach and finding your community. So what communities have you been part of? And if they're Australian or international, it'd be great to know. Yep. So uh, Jenny Blake's book, Pivot, she's the one that got me sort of started on the whole uh, 
you know, thinking about my career and where to go next. Her book is all about how do you make the next move. So Jenny Blake, um, big part of, of my growth. She's got the BFF community. Caught up with her in New York recently. Actually, one of the first uh, international gigs was also, um, you know, reaching out to your favorite author is one thing. And then we met in New York City when I was going to speak at that conference. Uh, and then when I got back to Australia, she was like, hey, do you want to run a, a workshop with me in Paris for Chanel? I was like, sounds great. That's pretty amazing. So anyway, I've been a member of her community for ages. She's really good on the, the tech and the systems and just thinking around um, heart-based businesses. Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income. I listened to his podcast every day the year that I was going to quit. So I joined his community. Alan Weiss, again, Million Dollar Consultant. Sean D'Souza for online marketing advice. Uh yeah, those are probably the, the key ones I'd highlight, but I'm always in and out of various communities and seeing what others are up to. Nice. Uh, and interestingly, not one of those communities is necessarily about being a facilitator or a trainer. It's, that sounds very business orientated slash outside a sector, which is great. And actually something I like encourage people to do. Mm. Well, I think it's because my podcast was probably my own community. I was curating like... I was in the front seat, same as you, Kirsty. like having conversations with facilitators. So for the craft, I was learning it every week through my guests, like different perspectives. So I didn't need that itch. That, that, that didn't need to be scratched. It was the oh, 100% the business side because you can't get it. You're not delivering workshops if you can't get the gig. You have to get the gig first. Absolutely. Cool. Any other advice that you'd give someone at this time? I, I, I'm actually curious to hear from you, your, your perspective on this, because every day I wake up and thinking, what am I doing with my life? Like, really, should I niche down or should I be a generalist? And so a lot of you know, the narrative is like niche down, pick a industry, pick a, an area of expertise. And then Alan Weiss will come along and say, just be a generalist. You've got more opportunity to, you know, what we do as facilitators is process oriented, which will work across yeah. many different industries. So don't niche. What do you think about that? I'm so curious. But have you not already started to niche by saying you are working in facilitation and therefore this is your way of facilitating and people are buying you? So I don't think it matters around sector, but I bet you there are still sectors you would not go into. Well, I have stopped calling myself a facilitator. Ah, what do you call yourself? A consultant. Because facilitation, people in Australia don't understand what no one really understands what a facilitation is. And I think even with leaders, I don't know, again, this might be an Australian thing, but no leader wakes up and is like, I need a facilitator. They wake up thinking, I need someone to help me out with um, making decisions. I need someone to help. It's going to come in and get this team. You know, but they don't actually think of facilitator. And every time I have been called a facilitator by someone ringing me, it comes in the same line as what is your day rate? Whereas consulting for me and in my experience is all about like project-based work. What are the results and outcomes we'll get? Facilitation is like day rate, like can you do a workshop? But I think in terms of moving to value-based pricing and increasing the value of a, a client, I've had to move to calling myself something different. Oh, that's interesting. And, and you're probably, uh, that feels quite true as well. From N equals one, from my experience. I don't know about from, yeah. I can understand where you're coming at from the, the day rate piece. People do want to ask you what your day rate is. And I just like, it's not, and I just say, it's not about that. Um, it's about the outcome we can achieve for you. And that's how we, how I think about things and I'll price it as a project and being really clear, but then like laying out all the, the project and all the steps and what that looks like. So I probably do behave like a consultant. I just don't call myself that. 
I, I don't know how I could square that off be, being called school of facilitation and then suddenly call myself a consultant. I probably could. I, I understand where that's coming from. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, it's like if I'm, if I'm pitted against other facilitators, it just seems like more, what I like about what you said, Kirsty, is actually they're buying you. And so it's like, how do you then, let's move past labels. It's like, how do you be like, like what does Leanne Hughes stand for? Like, and that's, that's the sort of marketing messaging I'm trying to bring in versus just focusing on workshops and, and I want to, yeah, more sort of bringing in that uniqueness. Otherwise we're a commodity and that's dangerous. Yeah. I like that. So what do I bring? What is my uniqueness? Mm. And then there's also that piece around price, price by project people don't, don't get drawn into day rates. Cause as soon as you say, oh, my day rate is people will want to negotiate with you on day rate. They'll go, oh, but could you do it for like a hundred pounds, a hundred dollars less? And it's not about that. I was asked uh, recently, oh, if there are fewer people, what would it cost us? I said, it'll be exactly. And these were consultants. I said, and my reply was in an email. I was like, I know you'll appreciate this as, as, as consultants, but I price by project. I don't price by the number of people. Great response. But they're also consultants. It's like, come on, don't, please don't take the piss. <laughs> and people do take the piss. I'm sorry if any of my clients are listening because sometimes people ask you the most ridiculous questions. I had one and I asked the classic question, how much is your budget? And then. it makes sense and the other thing as yeah. well i'll always do with a price is if it's coming in at around say a whole figure like 10k 8k just drop it just below that yeah because psychologically we know pricing people like a 7950 or yeah. <laughs> there's always a nine there's always a nine in it that's it that's true nines and sevens nines and sevens <laughs> Now, Leanne, I could carry on talking to you for ages, um, but what we do towards the end of these conversations is some quick fire questions. So I've got some quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Uh, who are you following in social media land that you think others should know about? I mean, if you haven't seen Alex Hormonzi, follow him. The $100 million offer, his book, he's on TikTok, he's on Instagram, he's on every single channel out there. He's blown up on YouTube. Really interesting guy, uh, started these gyms, flips them, like, you know, basically builds them up, builds their wealth, flips them, and uh, interesting content, perfect for business owners. Say his name again. Alex Hormonzi, H-O-R-M-O-N-Z-I. What book do you recommend? 
Oh, I mean, there's, I have a, a hundred books here. I think, I do think Million Dollar Consulting is probably the textbook if you're looking okay. at value-based pricing and increasing your fees and, and feeling that worth. And on a flip side to that similar book, Million Dollar Maverick, which really is about the mindset. How have you invested in yourself or your business to support you moving forward? Yeah, well, I mentioned quite a few here. So, I mean, I think my biggest expense is actually I mean, outside of technology because I love like... <laughs> I love my tech stack would be investment in coaching masterminds, uh, traveling to Vegas, traveling to Hawaii for courses, going to conferences like that has been, I have no, I think the the best investment we can make is in ourselves and our development. So, you know, if we're selling it to other companies, we've got to role model that and do it for ourselves. Absolutely agree. Leanne, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been wonderful to have you. Um, Go well. Good luck. And we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Kirsty. Thanks for being an awesome host. So great to chat again. 